I've never walked into an organization in which I had to say, well, for me to get started and be successful in this organization, I need to make some people changes. I never do that. I, I take what I'm given, and basically we have always performed better. This is Swarfcast. I'm Noah Graff. On today's show, we're discussing how to improve the performance of companies using Lean Six Sigma principles. Our guest is Albert Lettman, a Lean Six Sigma and quality systems consultant and educator who has worked for decades with prominent manufacturing companies around the world. Today's podcast is brought to you by Graf Pinkert. Looking for a screw machine, rotary transfer machine, or CNC machine? Graf Pinkert's got you covered. When you're buying any used machine, you're taking a risk. So it's important to buy from someone who knows their stuff and who is going to give you straight information about what you're buying. Graf Pinkert is a family-owned firm that's been dedicated to selling great machine tools to the turn parts industry for 75 years. It specializes in the top multi-spindle brands, including Index, Schutte, Gildemeister, Tornos, ZPS, Acme, and Wickman. They also sell a variety of other types of used equipment, such as CNC Swiss, CNC turning centers, and parts washers. Machine tools are complicated. If you're going to buy one, you should go to people who are knowledgeable and committed to the industry. Learn more at www.graffpinkert.com. That's www.graffpinkert.com. Welcome to the podcast, Albert. Why don't you tell everybody uh, what you do and what okay. give us give us a little background? Okay. Well, I describe myself as a person that adds value within an organization, uh, aka I'm a consultant. And what I do is I help organizations get to the next level. Typically, companies come to me with a situation in which they have to change or die. And I, I'm the one usually tasked with helping them to solve their business problems so that they can at least stay in business and get to the next level. Okay. Okay. And um, so your background, you grew up in Jamaica? I was born in Jamaica. But I grew up in Scotland. I went to school in Scotland. And that's where I got my passion for manufacturing. Well, what did your parents do? Well, my parents, again, my dad was a lumber stevedore. So he had a, what? a lumber stevedore, a fancy way of saying he was a ship worker in a dock that basically he ran the most expensive piece of equipment, which was the cranes. And that was the name given back then. And the key thing there was how fast could you undock that, tr- that, that cargo because every hour that ship was in port, it was not making money. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's that's. Do you feel? Do you feel that that inspired you? No. What really inspired me is I went to a technical high school. I went to the first and oldest technical high school in this part of the world. It's called Kingston Technical High School, and it was b- based upon the British system of educating people to. If you weren't going to be a lawyer, a doctor, or engineer, the next best thing was to learn something technical. Use your hands. And that's what really allowed me when I when I moved to Scotland and got into the realm of 
what manufacturing can do for an industry, for, for a country, that's really what inspired me. Because um, while I was at uh, university in the West Indies, I my path was just be- become a manager. A manager would just become the most educated person in the room, and therefore they get the, the chance to tell people what to do, and therefore they made mon- more money. And when I went to Scotland, that was quickly knocked out of me. That's not the way you make money. The way you make money is by understanding how you can make a difference in an organization. Because if the organization is not growing, you're dying. And that's just inevitably what has happened. So when I walked into Scotland and the United Kingdom in general, at the time, the place was literally on fire. That's, what they de- that's how they described it. At the time, meaning what? The it was the height of every production plant was on pace to move to China. It was the beginning of the transportation of all form of. And this anything, is the 80s. This is the 80s. Anything you could produce in China, they wanted it, to get, they they wanted to send it to China. Send it to China because you could definitely reduce your manufacturing costs, import it back, and you could make a lot more money. And the companies that did that initially survived, made a lot of money, but the companies who stayed and figured out how to get that kind of level of productivity were the real winners. And that's how I got into uh, the work that I do right now, because I remember uh, the company I worked for at the time was John McGavigan, and John McGavigan was the, it had 30% of the worldwide production of dashboards in your car. It produces dashboards. Yes, it produced the the screens, the lit-up screens in your car. You know, like uh, a little-known fact, um, the Pony- the Bonneville, we made the Bonneville, and it, to most people, they can see six colors or five. But there was 26 different printed processes to create the, the color scheme in that company. And that company was doing very innovative things back in the day. It, Pontiac. Yeah, it, Yes, Pontiac. That company was doing very innovative things back in the day. It created touchscreens. It it made um, touchscreens for Lear jets. For you, every time you maintain the jet, you had to take the touchscreen out because it was, you know. What years are we talking? We're talking about um, probably nineteen eighty nine back in. But it was born. It was it was owned by GM. At the time, that was an independent company that was a supplier to General Motors, yeah. Delphi General Motors. And within that experience, uh, Sunderland, uh, sorry, um, Nissan moved to Sunderland um, in, in Scotland. S- Sunderland? Sunderland, which is uh, it's around um, Newcastle uh, for the English. Uh, that's not the same, but it's around Newcastle. Cast- Newcastle is a little bit more known but if you follow soccer or um, english football there there's a big difference between sunderland and and newcastle those are fighting words there's two big rivalry there but sunderland was the recipient of a automotive um, a transplant from nissan and they basically invited all their suppliers to come to a new way of doing business what they referred to as as lean, and that's where they took very simple ideas. Just get people wherever they are. How can I invest in you to become better? And that same principle can be applied in schools. You know what what is required is recognize that 
Uh, I might not be able to do anything with the human capital that comes through the door, but I certainly can make them better. If they are willing to be part of the solution, I can make them better. All right. So that's what I, I love. Always, you. I like your idealism. It's not idealism. It's <laughs> it's 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 something that I've seen that work. You know, I've worked for. Uh, I've you know, you asked earlier, how did I actually got to the U.S.? You know, I've transported from working for a a twenty million dollar company to basically moving from from the United Kingdom to Canada, in which I ended up in a hundred and ten million dollar company. Which what were these companies? They were all manufacturing companies. Uh, the company in in Canada was called Long Long Manufacturing, and they specialize in heat exchangers. Um, heat exchangers. Yes, a fancy way of saying radiators um, for different heat sinks for a different solution. You had to one of the products that one of the reasons why engines fail is if you get too hot, it's going to fail. So by creating exchanges, you can make a difference. And that company grew uh, from 117 or so million to about $375 million. And it got acquired by a much larger competitor, Dana Corporation. And we moved into an organization that was $12 billion. And that small company, because of its the, the way it treated its human capital, the way it actually was very focused on technology, it's very driven, it's a technology-driven company, was the most profitable company within the organization, right? Even, even to this day. So you, you, see, you see organizations and people being able to create that, and you recognize that it's not an idealism. It's what occurs every day. Do you feel like you're seeing a trend where you have good management uh, in, say, just take the United States? Um, do, you, do you think that our companies are doing a good job with the management, um, working in harmony with the machines? Uh, we've done a much better job, and that has come about as a result of, back in the day, what people referred to as quality circles, total quality management, and the rise of the Japanese manufacturing companies. And that's where today we see a lot more companies implementing what they would refer to as Lean Six Sigma ideas. And that's from the Japanese. And that came from the Japanese. I was always wondering uh, about Lean Six Sigma why do they call it that, do you know? Yeah, well, the basic idea was, <laughs> at first, in the, the 2000s, around about the 2000s, various uh, consultants would go over and they'd bring back one, let's call it the flavor of the, the day, tool that they saw. And the first tool they saw was quality circles, you know, um, people on the manufacturing floor being grouped together as a team to work on manufacturing problems. So they say the secret sauce was quality circles. Then they went, then that kind of fizzled out, and then they went back, and then they saw just in time. So they came back and they said, it's just in time. And they kept on doing this. And a, a, a pivotal book was written called The Machine That Changed the World by um, Mr. Womack. And that Mr. Womack 
coined the term lean to describe their use of resources and it stuck and mm -hmm. that's where the, the concept lean manufacturing came about listeners do you have an idea for a future episode of swarfcast or is your company interested in advertising on the swarfcast podcast if so please send us an email at swarfcastpodcast at gmail.com. That's swarfcastpodcast at gmail.com. See, to me, it seems like sometimes com companies are trying to get too lean. Yes, well, that's because... It shoots themselves in the foot. Correct. That's well said. A lot of time, the companies are looking at it only as a business system. So if you say, I'm going to lean my way to profitability, that it ba basically just means, uh, I just, I just want to get it defined. It means like, I'm only going to buy as much material as I possibly need right now. Uh, what else does it mean besides that? Well, actually, what it, theoretically, in theory, what lean is talking about is value. What exactly is value in the eyes of the customer? Who's the most important person? And there's three things that you're really trying to do from the customer's perspective. You're trying to get them to take their money out their pocket and pay for something that you're, you have transformed, some form of transformation, machining, machining the part is transforming it from raw material into a functional product. That's two concepts there. The third concept is the customer is not going to pay you to do it twice. So they're, they want it done right the first time. So if you take that basic concept and then apply it to, to its inevitable conclusion, then if you're doing that and only that, that's really what Lean is talking about. So when you say you're doing, if you take an invoice from a customer and you look at all the things on the invoice and you ask the customer what would they pay for, most of the time there are things on the invoice that the customer will not mm -hmm. pay for. And from a perspective of what they don't want to pay for, that is waste. Anything other than value added is waste. And therefore, buying too much material is a form of waste. But where companies really get off the track is they think of lean as a cost-cutting measure. And if you use your people to create a leaning organization and then you reward them by getting rid of them, that's <laughs> when <laughs> it tends to, <laughs> to fall apart. You know, another thing I know, I met you from... Um, South Suburban College. What what are you doing as far as um, education and manufacturing? That's an excellent question. Um, you know, I refer to the college and what the college represent to me as my as what I would give the work I do to give back. Okay. Because so what what how long have you been doing this and and what exactly you know tell everybody where you've been volunteering or. South Suburban College is the college that I spend the most time volunteering with, and that college basically... It's is, in, it's in it, near Chicago? It's, it's in the suburbs of Chicago, um, in South Holland, specifically. That's where the college is based. And I work with the, uh, the business group within the college that, as a, uh, 
outreach program to both companies and to prospective employees. And the college plays a role by helping companies to solve their business problems, but it also tries to train the workforce of the future for most businesses that are in the south suburbs. Right? And that's where teaching uh, kids from high school age and sometimes returning adults how they can walk into an organization and instantly add value. That's what I do. I spend a lot of time talking to them about training programs. Uh, can a kid who goes to a training program walk into an organization and instantly add value? Yes, they can. If they, if the, the organization that spent the most time doing this is something called MSSOC. And this is a grant that the government has put together which allows kids... In, in high school to start on their computers to be able to understand the basics of manufacturing, n- namely safety, quality, production, maintenance, and to go through a virtual world of trying out and failing virtually. And the college provides a path to that. So by taking kids that are in high school and exposing them to these concepts, then these concepts can then be uh, further enhanced in a lab in which uh, it's called an amateur lab, which basically you have machines broken down in simplistic form. Like what kind of machines do you have in the lab? You have pneumatic machines that train you on the basis of pneumatic ACDC programmable logic controllers you know you have pumps how to assemble how to disassemble products so it gives uh, someone uh, in the old days we'd have learned all this th- stuff from the farms you know if you if you were on a farm and you needed to fix something you'd I call it tinkering, take it apart mm-hmm. and put it back together. And that's how you, you became very handy from a manufacturing point of view. But we're not a fix-it culture. We're not a fix-it culture. So this is the next best thing in which you can basically give someone a, a virtual experience and then a simulated experience. On, therefore, by the time they get to an organization, they have a pretty good idea of what the organization is trying to do. So with new tools such as, um, you know, computers come quite a long way. Dizuki, you can basically... Dizuki? Dizuki is a software that allows you to basically virtually describe any processes, just like your YouTube. Pull it apart, put it together. The person within five minutes watch a video and... Within 10 minutes, they're competent to the task. Dizuki is a video thing? It's a software solution to what we call uh, standard work. How does it work? What is it? It's pretty much like going to YouTube. So it's videos? It's videos, audios, very detailed, that is instantly available to someone on the shop floor. It makes virtual reality real. So people are demonstrating the technology in virtual reality? You, you can go that far. Yes, you can. So with all these simulation tools, as well as you know, um, digital tools, you can pr- pretty much create an environment so that someone, before they even walk into an 
organization have a very good feel for what is supposed to happen. Right. And then what, you know, what we train people in in Lean is how to produce processes, how to make processes work at the time of the of tech, of what the customer really requires. So that's more the theoretical classes that you would, and you teach them. Theoretical, but they're very practical in the sense that you can take a manufacturing process that was producing, let's call it 100 widgets an hour with five people and figure out to create 150 pieces per hour with five people or less. How are the, it, it doesn't sound good saying it this way, but what's the quality of the, of the students and how, how motivated are they? What percentage of them are motivated? What percentage of them come in with a decent, a decent work ethic and a decent, you know, decent skills that they are going to need? Math skills or, you know, people that paid attention in class, etc. What, what are you seeing? What are we working with here? In general, it, the outlook looked bleak because that's the feedback you get from most owners of organization that we're just not producing the right set of people. But I think that's, the, that's, that's a misnomer. Uh, the kids coming out of college sometimes are not in the best environment to understand what is expected, right? Um, when I speak to kids, I, I tell them about Shark Tank. I, I ask them, how many of you have watched Shark Tank? And they, some of them will say, yes, I watch Shark Tank. And I said, my favorite character is Mr. Wonderful. And they say, why? I say, well, Mr. F- Wonderful says, how are you going to come into my organization and immediately make money for me? And if you're not going to do that, you're dead to me. So all those ancillary things about you showing up on time, not having the right attitude, I'm not going to spend the time to do that. And that's where organizations, uh, a lot of organizations looking for people say that's the role of of the college and unfortunately the college is 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 not good enough to do that by by itself it has to have partnerships in which they see businesses growing in which they see the differences so when kids walk into i understand that's what they need my question is what are you seeing what's the caliber of, of students well i'll tell I tell people this, that they might walk in that way, but if I talk to them and I speak to them in, in a very relatable term, you realize what motivates them is they want to succeed just as well. Mm-hmm. And if you can create that spark in their, their eyes, there's nothing wrong with the kids. I tell people that I've never walked into an environment in which I, I do a lot of training, in companies as well as um, schools. And I've never walked into an organization in which I had to say, well, for me to get started and be successful in this organization, I need to make some people changes. I never do that. I, I take what I'm given, and basically we have always performed better. And I think it's the same thing with kids. Mm-hmm. It's a question of getting them motivated, getting them to realize that if you're not here to help me, the organization, gain a competitive advantage, I don't want you, right? And I can't help you, right? When you help me to be successful by adding value, then I can help you. And that's the, um, that's basically what you tell them to, to hopefully motivate them. Correct. And I show them what an, 
an organization can do from its impact on a community, uh, especially in in the suburb, the south side of Chicago, in which you had huge organizations, organizations that had five thousand people, that literally, you know. 40 years, 20 years ago, you just basically walked across the road into a, a job and you were there for life. Mm-hmm. That's not going to happen anymore. There's no one that is going to be hiring a thousand people. Their organizations can be way more nimble, way quicker. Yet they still need people. But yet still they need people. But they need people of higher quali- caliber. They need people that can solve problems that are important to the organization to get the organization to the next level. I like your positivity. I hope it you you see things as going in the right direction. Correct. Correct. Things are going in the right direction. We are always getting better. We always have to invest in both the well, let's call it the technology side, how you do things as well as uh, how do you put them together, which call let's call it the people side. And if you can get those two sides to coexist very well, that's one of the advantages that the I think the United States has. The creativity of its people is amazing. So, Albert, how can they learn more about uh, the programs you're offering? They can learn more about the programs I'm offering by visiting my LinkedIn profile at Albert Letman on LinkedIn. Awesome. Thanks. Thank you. Hey, everybody. First, we just want to thank you for listening to the podcast. It boosts our egos, and of course, your ears are the reason we do this. But it would be great if you could subscribe and leave a review, as it'll help other people discover it. Talk to you soon.